0: he was resurrected is resurrected and is now seated at the right hand of God in the place of authority folks listen to me those with Jesus can also overcome death, hell and the grave why would I want to worship a God who's dead why would I want to worship at Mecca with Muhammad when I know he's still in that grave he offers me no hope For the monster that I face, (laughs) that three-headed monster, he offers you no hope. For the three-headed monster that we all face. The only hope we have is in Christ, for Christ is the only one who came back from the grave. Without the resurrection, our faith is futile, means nothing. With the resurrection, it changes everything. (laughs) I'll tell you one thing, it changed the disciples, didn't it? They went from being a scared, sniveling bunch of, um, of men it's, uh, locked in an upper room to becoming the most uh, passionate preachers of the Word of God the world has ever known. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in the book of Acts, they were the ones who turned the world upside down. So how did they go from being scared to death in the upper room to becoming the most passionate, powerful group of men the world has ever experienced? I'll tell you how. It was because of the truth of the resurrection that changed everything. And they knew if God could bring back Christ from the dead, what couldn't He do? What couldn't He do with them? Oh, listen, what couldn't he do with us? What couldn't he do with me? And with you, changes everything. But without the resurrection, not only is our preaching pointless, but our faith is futile. Let me share another one with you. Look on down at verse number 14. And if Christ be not risen, that our preaching vain, your faith is also vain. Verse 15, yea, and we are found false witnesses. Not only would our preaching be pointless and our faith be futile, but our witness would be wishful thinking. What we witness concerning Christ just wouldn't mean a whole lot, would it? Now let me tell you what Paul is saying here. He's saying that we would become false witnesses if Jesus be not resurrected. Let me tell you why. Because all of the believers in that day was preaching the resurrection of Christ. Paul was preaching it. Peter was preaching it. John was preaching it. James was preaching it. All of these brothers was preaching, and sisters, was preaching the glorious gospel of the resurrection of Christ. All of them. Now, why were they preaching it? They were preaching it because they had saw it with their own eyes. See, folks, how many of you know Listen, your faith in Jesus, which hinges on the resurrection, is not a leap in the dark. Golly, you missed that. So everybody missed it. Did y'all miss it? Your faith in Christ is not a leap in the dark. Your faith in Christ is based upon eyewitness accounts that Jesus spent 40 days after his resurrection with his disciples before he ascended back to the Father. Let me, let me give you a verse of scripture. Go over to Acts chapter number one. Keep your place there in 1 Corinthians 15. But in Acts chapter number one, the Bible says this. Verse number one, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to both do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Look at verse three. To whom also he showed himself, he Showed himself alive. He who was dead showed himself alive, not once, not twice, but over a 40 day period, many times, doing what? Showed himself alive after his passion, his suffering, by many infallible proofs. So, really, what the writer is saying here is that he showed himself alive in, in ways that we couldn't question. The the apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 1, he says, We have handled the word of life. You know what that means? John is saying, I'm not telling you something that somebody told me. I'm not telling you something that I don't know to be so. I'm telling you facts because I saw him with my own two eyes and I handled him after he came back from the grave. Many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining, watch this now, to the kingdom of God. Now let's go back. Go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Watch what this says. And look down at verse number six. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, after that, he was seen, Jesus was seen of above 500 brethren at once. He says, these weren't people that you didn't know, these were people you do know, speaking to these early believers. Some of them are still alive today, he tells us. Watch what he says. Of whom the greater part remain unto this presence, but some are fallen asleep. So what Paul is saying is there were 500 people that seen Jesus at one time. I've done some figuring this week. If you took those 500 eyewitness accounts and you gave each one of them 15 minutes to share what they saw concerning Christ, you would have over 125 hours of eyewitness testimony that Jesus was alive after his resurrection. Let me ask you something, Brother Ken. Would 125 hours of eyewitness testimony mean a lot in a court case? Absolutely. So what I'm trying to say is, folks, we can witness to who Jesus is and what He's done because our faith is not a leap in the dark. Our faith is based upon facts by eyewitness accounts of people who actually seen and touched Him and handled Him and heard Him speak. Wow. I'm going to do something for you. You don't have to apologize for believing in Jesus or believing the word of God. Believe me, there is more than enough evidence. More than enough concrete evidence that you can stand on and know that you know the truth. It's amazing. So if Jesus be not raised, then our preaching would be pointless Our uh, faith would be futile. Our witness would be wishful thinking. But let me give you another one. Look at verse number 16. If Jesus be not raised, then sin is still supreme. Watch. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. And ye are yet in your sins. See, if Jesus would have remained in the tomb, if he would have remained in the grave, that would have meant that the the, the payment for the sin of all mankind was not sufficient to God the Father. But because he did come back from the grave, overcoming that three-headed monster that we all face, that shows us that the sacrifice of the perfect Holy Lamb of God was more than enough for us to be born again. Wow. He's alive. Now folks, I I know he's alive not simply because we know all these facts and there are facts that back it up. Let me tell you how I know he's alive. I spoke with him this morning. Let me tell you how I know he's alive. He's made a difference in me. Let me tell you how I know he's alive. Not only do I speak to him, but he speaks to me when I'm ready to listen. Just like the old hymn writer saying, he walks with me and he talks with me. A long life's weary way. Folks, I'm telling you, He's real to me for I have experienced Him. I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. If He is still in the grave, sin is still supreme, but He is not in the grave and sin has been overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Wilbur Chapman wrote a song years ago that was recently made popular. By the uh, super group Casting Crowns. Listen to this. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, watch this now, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. Let me give you scripture to back that up. That's all scripture. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse number 25. I want to share this this morning before we go any further. Who Jesus was delivered, watch this now, for our offenses. What that means is he went to the cross because of our sin. But then the Bible says, and he was raised again, watch this now, for our justification. If he's not raised, then we're not justified. What does justified mean? Justified means to be made right. In the eyes of God, so what the Bible is saying is Jesus was delivered up; He was offered on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. He became, listen to me now, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He was offered for our sins, our offenses, our sin at the cross. But listen, through His resurrection, we obtained justification in the eyes of a holy God. And now, when God sees those who place their faith in Jesus, we are seen as right according to God's standard, not because of who we, who we are, because of who he is. Are you getting this? So he's raised again. If he be not raised, then st- sin is still supreme. I'm thankful this morning he has been raised. That's the point Paul is making here. Not only would sin still be supreme if Jesus be not raised, but I want to tell you death would still dominate Look, 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 17, If Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and ye are yet in your sins, and they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and became the first fruits of them that slept. Wow. Let me tell you how good that is. That Jesus became the first fruits of those that have died in Christ. What he's saying is, Jesus was the first one to be raised again to walk in the newness of life. He was the first fruit. But how many of you know, we are the harvest. Our our, Our Wednesday night crowd know what I'm talking about. With the Jewish harvest, there's three, point, there's three different steps that they take. The, the harvest of first fruits, the general harvest, and then they go back and reap what's left in the field. I want you to know, we are a part of the harvest, and the harvest is made possible because of the first fruit, and the first fruit was the Lord Jesus, the first one who came back from the grave. Now one day, the Bible says he's going to descend from heaven with the shout of an archangel, and all of those who are dead in Christ shall rise first. Can you say amen? Raised again. With a body just like his, fulfilling the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I don't think death dominates to do you. I don't believe death's the end. I read this week about a hospital in New York that had hired their first atheist chaplain. What do you think about this? I'm laying in my bed knowing it's my deathbed. And the chaplain that comes to my room is an atheist who does not believe that there is a Creator God who loves us and gave His Son to die for us. And the only hope they can give me is that I'm just going to die and rot in the tomb. How many want some of that? I want to read to you something I read this week that Dr. David Jeremiah says, he said, are you going to ask me to believe that the intelligence that created this universe, I love that. Do you know it took intelligence, a mind, to create the universe we had? Had to. There's too much order in it. It couldn't just happen. If you believe that, you've got a whole lot more faith than I do. So it says that, he said that, the intelligence that created the universe intends for it all to run down into the grave? That we are born crying and that we live complaining and then we die disappointed? He said, you're asking me to believe that? He said, that's it? I'm supposed to believe that the same great grand scheme of things that made an entire universe and created something called man is to cause all of us just to die and that's it? That's it? That's all we can hope for is to just get sicker and sicker and sicker until we die. And it all ends in a a veil of tears and we rot in the ground. He says, I can't believe that. I can't accept that. Logically, it don't make sense. I can't believe it. I don't accept it. You shouldn't believe it. You shouldn't accept it. Because the truth is, Jesus overcome the grave. And in Christ, we too can overcome the grave. We don't have to fear death as believers. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Death for the believer is little more than changing addresses. My last breath on earth will be followed by my first breath in heaven. The apostle Paul said for the believer to be absent from the body is to be present with Jesus. He said, I'm in a straight straight betwixt too, whether to stay here and minister to the people of God or to go on and be with the Lord. He said, I know it's better for me that I go on. Why is all that possible? Because Jesus defeated the grave. And we get in on it. Isn't that amazing? You say, oh, Brother Israel, I, I just don't know. How do you know that I mean, how do you know for certain that Jesus rose again? Could that just be a fairy tale, as some people have said in the past? Let me give you a few things. Why I believe. Dr. Frank Turek wrote this, and it just blessed my soul, and I want to share it with you. He said there are six reasons that he believes in the resurrection. He says, first of all, it's the early testimony. The testimony of John and Luke that we've looked at this morning was written less than 100 years after the actual event took place. That means it happened. John saw it with his eyes. And and then we know that John's gospel was written about 33 years after the death of Jesus. That is very, very, very early. For an ancient document. I don't have time to go into it. I hope you're going to your Sunday school class. Young adults. You'll find the reason of why that's so important. Uh, when we're talking about the authenticity. Of the scripture. But early testimony. That's a big thing. Um, also eyewitness testimony. Like we've already said. This is not someone making up. What they believe to have happened. It's what they saw with their own eyes. John's gospel is eyewitness accounts of what happened in the life of Christ. John chapter number 21, I just want to read to you very quickly what it says in verse number 24. He says, that is the disciple speaking of himself, which testifieth of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. He said, I'm not telling you something that I don't know to be true. I saw it myself. I experienced it. So not only do we have early testimony concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we also have eyewitness testimony. And we can find in the Gospel of John and in the the book of Acts 140 different details that let us know it was eyewitness testimony. Not only that, but embarrassing details. There was a lot of embarrassing stuff that was written down concerning the crucifixion and the resurrection. One of them being that it was the women that went to the tomb on Easter Sunday morning. While the men were scared to death, locked in the upper room, they were afraid that the same men who had just come and arrested Jesus and crucified Him would now come and crucify them. So they locked themselves in the upper room, and the women went to see to the body of the Lord. They found the empty tomb first. They met with the angel. Amen. Amen. Now, if, if, if I was John, and I was writing that, and I was just making it up as I went, I'm going to tell you, I would have never put in there as a man that I was scared in the upper room while the women was going to check on the body. I don't think John would have done it either. He, you know, him and James was called the sons of thunder. Let me tell you what that means. That means they'd get in the gravel with you. They didn't mind. Doing what was necessary if they thought it to be necessary. These were men's men. But yet, he writes in the gospel, they were hiding in the upper room while the women went and checked on the body. If he had been lying, I don't think he would have put that in there. So why did he put it in there? Because he's telling the truth and he knew what was happening was going to be life changing for a world. So he said, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to write it down just like it happened. (laughs) That and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So early testimony, eyewitness testimony, embarrassing details. What about excruciating testimony? Do you know that all of the apostles except for John died horrible deaths, went through terrible persecution? You know that Peter was crucified upside down. You know that the apostle Paul was beheaded. Many of the others were beheaded. Some of them boiled in oil. Some of them fed to the lions in the Colosseum. Now, why did that happen? Simply because they were preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were preaching this truth of the death, burial, and resurrection. And all they had to do was shut up. Many times they would arrest them. You can go back and read in the first part of the book, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. They arrested Peter and John, brought them before the Sanhedrin, set them down there and said, guys, you've got to shut this stuff up about Jesus. You know what Peter said? He said, I cannot say what you need to do. All I can do is say what I need to do, and I can't help but speak what I have seen and heard. Peter says, I, I, I can't help but tell you, look, what has actually happened. And what you do with it, it's up to you. And he kept preaching this gospel until they hung him upside down naked on the cross. And all he had to do to escape that was shut up. If he is lying about what happened at the tomb that first Easter morning, I think he'd just shut up, don't you? Chuck Colson, some of you remember him as the hatchet man for the Nixon administration. That's one thing that he always said that brought him to faith in Jesus. During the Nixon administration, when the Watergate scandal happened, all all they had to do was three people keep quiet for a little while. I think it took about seven days, and they all turned on one another. Why? Because they were all lying. And when men are facing persecution, and they're standing on a lie, they ain't going to stand long. These men gave their lives... Excruciating testimony of what happened to those who preached the gospel. What about expected testimony? The scripture in Isaiah 53 was written 700 years before the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. But you go back and you read Isaiah 53, 1 through 10, you're going to see that it describes perfectly, exactly what happened with Christ. Psalms 22 and 23 is another one. Extra biblical testimonies, and this is the big one. You say, Well, Brother Israel, you believe all that because the Bible says it. Yes, I do. I believe God's Word to be His absolute truth to us. But let me say something else. Listen. There are 10 other documents other than the Bible, ancient writings that were written in that same time other than the Bible that tell us. Jesus was seen alive after his death. That speak of the early apostles and share the same story they told on the pages of Scripture. Jesus is alive today. You need to trust him. If you haven't yet trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin and been born again, why not today? The Son of God and God the Son was raised on a cross. But praise God, He was risen from the tomb. He overcame the three-headed monster that we'll all face. And those who place their trust in Jesus can overcome death, hell, and the grave too. Won't you trust Him today? You say, brothers, I've already trusted him. Fantastic. Are you living for him? Are you walking by faith? Have you surrendered fully to the Lord Jesus in every area of your life? You know, it is your reasonable service. It just makes sense. If he gave his life for you, will you not give your life to serve him? Is there certain areas in your life, child of God, where you know you need to get forgiveness and walk in God's power? Like I said before, listen, listen to me. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, if Jesus can come back from the dead, what can't he do? The scripture says in Romans chapter 8 that the same power that raised up Christ now dwells in us. You say, Brother Israel, I've got things in my life that I just can't break. I can't break this addiction. I can't uh, fix this problem. I can't help this relationship. No, you can't, but God's power can. I mean, if he can come back from the grave, what's too big in your life that he can't fix? But a lot of times what we do is we hold on to those things. And because of our own foolish, selfish pride, we try to fix them ourselves. Like I told you Wednesday night, a lot of time the problem is not that we're not strong enough. It's that we're not weak enough. Because we find in our weakness, when we really realize who we are and how weak we are and how much we need Him. When we really humble ourselves and realize that, then His strength is made perfect in our weakness. So I don't know what God spoke to you. Maybe you need to be saved. Maybe you need to, as a child of God, you've already been saved and, 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 and you, you need to get close to the Lord like you used to be. You remember when you used to be there and you want to be there again and you can be for the Bible says if you'll confess your faults, He'll forgive you. Maybe you need to join this church. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe God's called you to preach. Maybe you've been called to the mission field. I don't know what's going on but God's power is sufficient for you. The same power that raised up Jesus is now at work in our lives. Everybody stand together. You need the Lord in any way you come. I'd love to pray with you. It's my privilege to pray with you, but don't wait during this invitation time. Be submissive to the will of God. What God leads you to do, don't hinder Him, don't quench the Spirit. Submit yourselves to Him and see what God can do.